For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O peoples. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those are the verses, um, let's see, 5 through 8 of Psalm 62, which along with Psalm 61 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, June the 7th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing in the book of Ecclesiasticus, otherwise known as the Wisdom of Ben Sirah, which is one of those... Um, apocryphal books that's not in the Bible. It's, it's sort of like an appendix to the Old Testament. It's, it's books that we believe were written in the intertestamental period that, that the, the church, beginning with Judaism and then in the early church, used and read, not as the Word of God, but important books that were more important than other books, but less important than the canon of Scripture itself. So we're in Ecclesiasticus uh, chapter 8, verse 14 through chapter 9, verse 10, and it's a series of aphorisms. Um, sort of like Proverbs is probably the best way to say it. Not sort of, it's, it's exactly like Proverbs. And so it's hard to find a thematic uh, coherence in it. And then in uh, the Gospel, we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. And in Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. <clears throat> so the Ecclesiasticus passage, Do not go to law against a judge. For the decision will favor him because of his standing. Makes sense, right? You're not going to sue a judge. I can certainly remember a situation uh, 20 years ago or so where there was a divorce happening, and the the uh, the man was a lawyer in a reasonably small place. And the problem was is that the other lawyers, there was such a, a band of brothers there that it was very difficult to get an attorney for the wife, even though she was the aggrieved party. Um, so it was, uh, I, I had to help get somebody for that and it's because the presumption was that the court would lean in that person's favor. Don't travel on the road with a foolhardy fellow, lest he be burdensome to you, for he'll act as he pleases, and through his folly, will you'll perish with him. I mean, these are just, you know, sort of wise sayings is, is pretty much what we get here. Don't fight with a wrathful man, and don't cross the wilderness with him, because blood is nothing in his sight, and where no help is at hand, he'll strike you down. Uh, you know, just, it, it, these are good advice, right? You shouldn't have to have <laughs> this kind of advice, but, but we do. Do not consult with a fool, for he will not be able to keep a secret. In the presence of a stranger, do nothing that is to be kept secret, for you don't know what he'll divulge. Don't reveal your thoughts to everyone, lest you drive away your good luck. That one is kind of baffling to me, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not, just not sure how that fits in the canon of Scripture. It's sort of like, don't say things out loud, or, or, or you'll jinx yourself. I, 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 there's nothing I can say about that other than what I've just said. <laughs> don't be jealous of the wife of your bosom, and don't teach her an evil lesson to your own hurt. Do not give yourself to a woman so that she gains mastery over your strength. Now, that goes back, actually, to Genesis 3. It says your desire will be for your husband, but he must rule over you. And it's the same thing that God says then in chapter 4 to Cain, sin's crouching at your door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it or rule over it. And so that, that's exactly what this is saying. Don't give yourself to a woman so that she gains mastery over your strength. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's there's some examples of that in in public life today, uh, where where st- otherwise strong men 
are now subservient to their wives, and and they've sort of lost their manhood at, at that level. And and, it, and I don't mean to suggest anything more than the, uh, equality with one another within marriage. I, the problem is is when it becomes more than that, when you become dominated by the other. Now, this was written to a man, but it could be equally true of a woman, not to allow a man to dominate and rule over you in that way. <clears throat> Do not go to meet a loose woman, lest you fall into her snares. I mean, there's these are sort of um, advice to to men primarily to to avoid making mistakes. And this this next one, I, I'm a little bit confused. I'll be honest with you. I'm just not sure what the reference here is on this one. Do not associate with a woman singer, lest you be caught in her intrigues. I, singer might I, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> don't look intently at a virgin lest you stumble and incur penalties for her. And so this is saying essentially that that the issue is the lust in the heart and it's equal with adultery but here this this idea of the virgin is referring to a young woman clearly a woman who is probably underage um and so don't do that you know we live in a world where We've just gone through this mess down in Florida where the people wanted to um, be able to teach sex and sexuality to kids in kindergarten through third grade. I mean, there's there's something sick in our society that needs to be identified as sick and then and then dealt with in that way. <clears throat> Do not give yourself to harlots lest you lose your inheritance. And that would be sort of the uh, prodigal son. That, those are the things that he was accused of doing. Do not look around in the streets of a city nor wander about its deserted sections. In other words, don't go looking for trouble. You know, it's the old old saying that you know nothing nothing good ever happens after one o'clock in the morning, kind of a thing. And so that's what this is mean. Don't look around in the streets of a city nor wander about its deserted sections. If you go tr- looking for trouble, it'll generally find you. Turn your eyes away from a shapely woman and do not look intently at beauty belonging to another. Another man's wife would be with me. Many have been misled by a woman's beauty and by it passion is kindled like a fire. Never dine with another man's wife nor revel with her at wine lest your heart turn aside to her. And in blood you be plunged into destruction. So it's it's mind your own business. Keep your eyes on your wife. Keep your eyes on, on the woman you love, not the one somebody else loves. Don't be led astray. In that way, and, and again, that could go both ways. It, 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 it's, it's all these things are equally true for women. So it's, it's these are addressed to men, but there's no absolutely nothing in any of these that wouldn't apply equally on the other side. Forsake not an old friend, for a new one does not compare with him. A new friend is like new wine; when it's aged, you will drink it with pleasure. And, and too often we fall into that particular trap, where where we we've had friends that we've trusted for a long time and enjoyed their company and all that. And then we meet a new friend and then we trust them too much. And so what what he's saying is be careful. All these things are be careful. You know, you could, you could reduce some of it to be careful, little eyes, what you see, be careful, little hands, what you do, be careful, little ears, what you hear. And that you could reduce most of those, uh, the, the wisdom pieces here to that very thing, you know, just, just don't do stupid things. You know, that, that's probably the easiest way to say it. In, the, in Matthew's gospel, remember yesterday, Jesus had gone outside the land into Tyre and Sidon, and he healed there the Syrophoenician woman, daughter of a demon that was possessing her. And now he went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up to the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered 
when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So so they wondered, and what they were wondering about was, what does this mean, and who is this man that he's doing all these things? But they get one thing right. At the end of the day, they glorified the God of Israel. They, They knew... What we missed yesterday, which was the, the whole idea—well, not yesterday, but what we missed recently when, the, when they, the Pharisees and the scribes tried to say that Jesus healed by Beelzebul. Here, they, these people get it right. They know it's the finger of God, as Jesus said. That, that's exactly what healed this guy, this, these people. These are all being done through the hand of God. Jesus called his disciples to him then, so he's pulling away from the rest, and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. It's a long time. They would have run out of whatever provisions they had with them, and they followed Jesus for three days here. They've stayed with him, and so he has compassion on them. He said, I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. You can see this sort of exodus sort of theme here. That, that Jesus is, um, they've got to provide for these people. So there's got to be manna. They're not in the wilderness exactly, but they're not, they're outside the place where they can easily get food. They need to be fed before they go, go on from here. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? So it's sort of wilderness in the sense of there's no provision available. There's no place for us to go and get food. So where's it going to come from? And so Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And you can, you can just imagine them rolling their eyes <laughs> when they said that, right? Seven, we have seven loaves and a few small fish. That's what we've got. Okay, so he directed the crowds to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So you can just imagine what this would have looked like to to see Jesus blessing these seven loaves and some small fish and saying, all right, now you distribute these things. And then suddenly everything becomes plenty. All ate and were satisfied. And then they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So it's not 4,000 that he's fed here. We don't know how many people he fed. We know that he fed 4,000 men besides women and children. And so what we're seeing, again, is this provision of God. But he took what he had, blessed it, broke it, and God multiplied it. There's faith in that. Um, there's, there's a faith that steps in and says, that will be enough. And it was. It was enough to feed everybody there. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan, which is a very difficult thing to figure out where that is. It's, there's no—this is the only place in the Bible where it's um, mentioned. There are those who have said, okay, that's the same as Magdala, or uh, which would be where Mary of Magdalene was from. But there's zero evidence for that being true. There, there's not a single piece of evidence. Because in other places, in this same story, it says that they went to Dalmanutha. And Dalmanutha is another difficult place to find. It's assumed that these are two place names for one place. And it's difficult to pinpoint where it is except for where he's coming from and where he goes. And so it's, it's in another quadrant is all that. It, and so there doesn't seem to be any particular meaning to this. It just seems to be where he went. So in the epistle, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And so remember the, the point and the argument in Galatians is, is pretty straightforward. It's, is salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, 
Or is it Christ plus something else, like circumcision particularly is what's in view here, because circumcision itself is not the point. It's, it's not just simply being circumcised. No, it means you've also got to keep the law. If you take on circumcision, then you've converted to Judaism. But that, that's not the path you have to take to be saved. You don't have to go through Judaism to get salvation in Christ. And so that's his point here. So you who desire to be under the law, those of you who are willing to be circumcised and, and go that route, don't, don't you listen. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So we've got Hagar and Ishmael on the one hand, and then Rebekah and Isaac on the other. But the son of slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise, in the same way that Jesus came through the promise um, through the Holy Spirit. And so he says there, there's, there's, there's a distinction between these two. One was, was a decision two people took and cooked up and said, hey, you know, did God really say that I would be the one to bear the child? Or you know, why don't you sleep with my slave woman? So, the, so that's what it means to be born according to the flesh. Two people get together and do something, and while the son of the free woman was born through promise, and there's a, there's a sense in that, and there's a sense in Judaism, it runs all the way through Judaism, that, that agrees that Abraham and um, Sarah, and I think I said Rebecca earlier, but obviously I didn't mean that, I um, meant Sarah, but that um, there, there's an idea that runs through Judaism, and, is, and, it, and it's here in this passage, actually, that, that there, was, there was godly intervention, that they were indeed too old to conceive in any kind of a natural way. So God intervened in that situation and, and caused Sarah or enabled Sarah to have a child. So that's what that means, born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she's our mother. I mean, that's a powerful statement, and and, and certainly something that, that would have just you know, before his conversion, Paul would have Paul would probably have have run this person who said that in and had him arrested and maybe put to death for the things that that he said here about Judaism is so powerful and, and so um, corrective against Judaism, saying that's the old covenant, but but that's born of the flesh, not of the promise. He says he said that Jerusalem, Judaism, the thing you're trying to go back to. He said that's that's more like Hagar and Ishmael, actually which is a, an incredibly offensive thing to have said. For it's written, uh, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so he, he's, that comparison there, it, what, he's, what he's comparing it to is, is, is the new covenant. <clears throat> now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise without respect to circumcision or the law. You're children of the promise, and the promise is Christ Jesus. It's, it's that he took on sin on the cross, and, and God accepted his sacrifice and raised him from the dead in, in order that we might cast our sins on him and participate in that resurrection through faith. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So remember the story of Ishmael and Isaac, that, that there was a, he was making sport, is what it says, making sport of him. There's, there's something there that deeply bothered Sarah in the way that Ishmael related to Isaac, and so she demanded that, he be put, that, that Hagar and Ishmael be put away. 
she feared for her son in some way. The, the verbs there are not clear enough for us to figure out what in the world it is that she sees. But, but we also know that she, she was not um, overly protective because when she insists that they be sent away, God agrees and says, do this very thing. So, so he saw that there would be the potential for this enmity to flourish. And so it, it needed to be dealt with, and it needed to be dealt with right then and there. So it, it's, it's clear that, that Sarah was not wrong in that instance. Abraham that time actually did the smart thing. When, the, when at first, remember, Sarah's the one who suggests that Abraham sleep with Hagar. And what does he do? He just says, yeah, okay, sure, that sounds, that sounds like a good idea to me. And, and he goes ahead and does it. Here, however, when she wants them to be put away, he actually asked the Lord about it. And the Lord told him, no, do this. Listen to the voice of your wife. Obey the voice of your wife in this instance. So it, it was important that that be done. And, and so that's what Paul's referring to, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. And so what he's doing is he's comparing the people who would come in, these Judaizers, who would come in and insist these people accept circumcision and the law in addition to Jesus. What he's saying is, is that, no, 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 that's exactly like that situation. But in this situation, you're Isaac and they're Ishmael. Again, it's so deeply offensive that Paul would say this. It's amazing that a man who had, who had grown up the way he had and had spent most of his life thinking exactly the opposite of this, that it's amazing that he would compare him, his own people to Ishmael in this situation. He said, what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And so what is he saying here? Is he saying God's rejected the Jews? No. He said he's doing a new thing. And, and to get in it isn't that way. It's not the old way. It's the new way. It's by faith. And, and his argument always is that, that it's always been about faith and not works. Paul never lays down uh, anything that says the old covenant was based in, in works, because he's the first one to argue that, no, 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 the promise came to Abraham based on faith, not works. He hadn't done anything. In fact, God didn't require him to do anything except believe. And it's important that we see that distinction and that we continue to walk with other Christians, if, if I could point back to that Ecclesiasticus lesson and some of the things that it says there, it's just be wise about who you're with. Spend your time with those people who will build you up in the faith because otherwise you'll get deceived. So be careful who you're hanging out with and be careful what you're doing and your thought life and all those things because it, this is all based in faith. But it's faith that, that has evidence so don't get me wrong on that. The evidence for Christ's resurrection and his death on the cross are very good. There are many, many witnesses, and they told their stories in public, in writing as well, in the time of those who could have said, no, 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 this is all nonsense, it's all a lie. So your faith is not without evidence. It has plenty of evidence. And the evidence of the church and the perseverance of the church down the last 2,000 years is further evidence for that very thing. So what we need to do is surround ourselves with those who will build us up in the faith, who, who will share with us what the Lord's sharing with them and allow us to do the same in order that we both might grow and be strengthened in our faith.